Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. Do not be anxious about anything. That's what the Apostle Paul said today. He wrote that to the Philippian Christians, but also to us. I don't know, I'm not sure, all that the Philippian Christians had to be anxious about. But it was likely many of the same things you and I get anxious about. Personal problems, family troubles, the decay of society, the threat of persecution, sickness, financial difficulties, uncertainty with work and employment. Our world today is far different than theirs, yet at the same time, not much has changed. But this isn't just a grown-up problem. You're never too old or too young to be anxious. This pandemic has revealed that. One of the biggest problems that continues through this time is not physical health, but mental health. It was a problem before, but this time of fear, separation, and isolation has revealed its scope and increased it exponentially. My wife has told me on a number of occasions that the biggest issue facing the pediatric units in the hospital is not COVID, but attempted suicides. And medical studies are backing that up now. Just how much mental damage COVID and all that has come with it has done to people of all ages. Add to that all the shenanigans going on in our culture, playing with people's minds, issues of identity and gender, who you are or who you should be, and can you even know? Can you be sure? And talk of all this as being fluid, ever-changing, so you can never be sure, never have a firm foundation. People are anxious almost all the time. Anxious about matters of life and death. Anxious about who they are. Anxious about the future. And now, add to all that the pressures and expectations of the holiday season. Being told to feel a certain way when they don't. Told to be jolly and they aren't being filled with hopes and expectations and then disappointed when those hopes and dreams aren't fulfilled like they are in all the holiday movies. And so many think, what's wrong with me? No wonder so many are lost and confused and depressed. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Anxious. And yearning for peace. Maybe like the disciples of John the Baptist. Who came to him one day seemingly very anxious. About all that Jesus was doing while John was languishing in prison. 
Some think John was anxious too. Maybe. But John doesn't seem like the type. He was bold and brash, calling the Pharisees who came to the Jordan a brood of vipers. Fearlessly railing against King Herod and his sin and confident in Jesus on whom he saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove, and to whom he pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So I rather see John like a wise old teacher advising his students. They come to him anxious, breathless, questioning. And John... Calmly, like one who has been through all this before, points them to their answer. Go ask him. Go ask him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That is, are you the promised Messiah or not? Their answer is in what Jesus did and had been doing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. All these are things the prophets said the Messiah would do. But not just to hand out messianic goodies on a chosen few, taking away the sting of sin here and there. These were just the prelude to the main thing taking away the sin of the world on the cross. We tend to focus on the goodies. That's what we want. But Jesus and John are all about the main thing. And you know, before John was in prison, while he was still baptizing at the Jordan, I'll bet there were people like the ones who Jesus healed, who came out to him to be baptized. I never really thought about it before, but of all those people who came out, surely not all were in good health. There must have been some who were sick, lame, blind, diseased, outcast, and they went out there for a healing. Greater than just that of the body, the healing of the soul, the forgiveness they needed. John was happy to give it. But now that Jesus had come and begun his work, the forerunner's job was over. He had done it well. He had prepared the people. Now it was time for him to move over, retire. Jesus gives him high praise. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Think about that. Not the Jews' great father Abraham. Not the great King David. Not the great prophet Elijah or Moses. No. The guy in prison. None is greater than John. But it's that next line that really then jumps out. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Which kind of puts things in perspective. That maybe the things in this world that we obsess about, 
the people and things we think so great and that we want or want to be aren't really so great after all and can't give us what we need, what we're looking for, can't give us that firm foundation that we need to live a life of contentment and peace, a life where we aren't anxious about anything. But that's exactly what Jesus had come to do. Give us that firm foundation we need to live a life of contentment and peace, that we not be knocked around and swayed and become breathless and anxious when the next thing happens and there's always a next thing. But instead know that your life is safe in Jesus. That you are among those greater than John. For by your baptism you are a member of the kingdom of God, the family of Christ. Your sins have been washed away, which means they're not coming back to condemn you. They're not going to come back and haunt you. And if your sins have been washed away, then death has also been taken care of. For the wages of sin is death. So while you're die, you'll die even as Jesus died. You'll also rise to life again as he did. And live. And all of that is sure. Accomplished. Done by Jesus. And given to you. So your life is now kind of like this. Say there was one really great Christmas present you wanted. More than anything else ever. But now you know. And are certain that you're going to get it. That it's been purchased, wrapped, and is sitting under the tree just waiting for you to unwrap it on Christmas morning. It might be hard for you to wait. But already now, waiting, you would be filled with joy knowing that the day is coming. That's our life now as Christians. Our eternal life in the kingdom of God is purchased, wrapped, and just waiting for us to rise from the sleep of death on the last day to receive it. And while it may be hard to wait for that day, and while we may have bumps and troubles while we do, it is waiting for you, guarded and kept for you by your Savior. Which changes how we live now. For the joy we have now, knowing the gift is waiting for us, dwarfs all the trials and troubles Satan can gin up and throw at us. And he's got a lot, and he tries a lot. And at times, he succeeds in pulling our attention away from Christ and his victory and drags us down into the anxiety-causing world. But as Paul said, even here, the Lord is at hand too. It's not God up there far, far away and Satan down here fighting us. The Lord is at hand in flesh and blood. Flesh and blood that touched and healed many in the days of John. And his body and blood that touches and heals us today of our sins. 
and refocuses us and puts us back on the firm foundation we need so that in this world filled with anxiety, change, challenge, and attack, we not be knocked around and knocked down, but rejoice. Rejoice even in the face of all these things. Rejoicing always, as Paul said. Because we know the day of our gift and is, is to be opened, is drawing ever closer. Even old John, stuck in prison. I don't think he was happy about being in prison, but happiness is different than joy. You may not be happy and maybe not feeling very jolly, but you're not great in the kingdom of God because you feel great but because Jesus said you are. Feelings come and go, but the word of Jesus stands forever. Now, I'm not sure how long John had been in prison when these things we heard about today took place. And John didn't know it, but he was now very close to receiving his gift and becoming even greater when he would lose his head. Because King Herod lost his and made a foolish promise. And I'm not sure how close any of us are or what prisons or troubles you are languishing in right now as you wait. But as we wait, the Lord is at hand. So let your requests be made known to God, prayers and supplications with thanksgiving, Paul said. With the thanksgiving that refocuses you away from the troubles and back onto Christ, his victory and his gift. And that thanksgiving isn't just something to come up with in your heart, something for you to do. It's actually something very concrete. For the word thanksgiving there is the word Eucharistias. Eucharist. One of the names given to the Lord's Supper. So what Paul is doing is calling us in the midst of a world of anxiety. Here. A place of peace. A place where we repent and receive the forgiveness we need. A place where we hear the reassuring word of God. A place where we pray together and pray for one another. A place where we Eucharist. Give thanks for the gift of Jesus. And at the same time receive him, his life, and his peace. So rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. That's not Paul telling us to do the impossible, but inviting us to a better way, to the life Jesus has for us. Which is why we lit the rose-colored candle on the Advent wreath today. It is the joy candle, the candle that reminds us that Advent is now half over and our gift is that much closer. So we will, Eucharist today, Give thanks and receive his gift here while we wait 
for the day of the big unwrapping. No, not Christmas. Better. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.